everybody, and welcome to What's the Problem, the podcast that explores problems and other issues that folks in the world of cybersecurity face today. And today, we are fortunate to have Warner Moore joining us. Warner, say hello to the listeners. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. Absolutely. Well, let's get right into it, Warner. Why are you qualified to talk about cybersecurity? Well, shoot. I started my career back in the early days of the internet. Sometimes I say I helped build the internet, but that's a little more tongue-in-cheek. I was involved in the early days. And back then, one of the cool, nerdy things to do with technology was play with security. A lot of early security tools came out of open source, I ended up uh, working for a payments company called Two Checkout, and we essentially created the payment space. And that was back when PayPal was a payment method and not all the things they are now. And being in the payment space, we had to meet all these security requirements for the card companies and our, our acquiring banks. And that was before the payment card industry data security standard. Uh, I started out trying to build this security program to meet the requirements for Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. And not so long into the project, PCI came out and it created one standard. And so we were able to build this a big um, project around security for one standard and not two or three competing ones. So that was my first security program uh, back in the olden days. Uh, since then, I, I've helped build multiple uh, tech-centric companies across industries, uh, built their security and privacy programs, companies like uh, Camel, or, uh, Pulp Penguin, Cover My Meds. And then uh, later, I founded my firm, Gamma Force, where we help companies with technology and cybersecurity strategy. In that time, I built shoot, probably seven security and or privacy programs. I quit counting around that time. So it's close enough. So I know a thing or two about security, but there's lots of smart smart folks out there doing smart things. Awesome. Well, you talked about building security programs at Gamma Force, uh, as well as you know, being in the payment space. Um, my, my ears lit up when I was here in PCI compliance. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a, I, I now know exactly where you were at that time uh, as that, <laughs> those standards are coming out. Let's talk about a, a problem that you see in, in building security programs. If there might be more than one, in fact, uh, there's probably a lot more than one. But you know, Warner, let's get into it with the listeners and talk about what's a problem when you're building a cybersecurity program. Really focusing on strategy first is something I see that's a challenge. I, if we look at our security organizations in many industries and many companies, we, we might have all these people dedicated to security and they're super tactical. We build all these tools, all these capabilities. We subject our vendors and service providers and business partners all these requirements and their vendor management programs. Then we have these external compliance requirements driving our businesses as well in many cases. And we end up with these really long lists of tactical things. And we're just doing them. And we really need to step back 
consider why we're doing these things. How are we managing risk? Is it driving value in our business? Does it even make sense for the products we're offering to our customers in the marketplace? Security is a big deal. It's getting riskier and riskier across industries. And it's something we should invest in and manage, but from the perspective of strategy first, actively managing risk, not just working down arbitrary lists of things without putting any context to it. For the listeners, when we talk about building a cybersecurity program and starting with strategy, are there, are there certain pillars or tenants of, or buckets, I should say, that you start looking at? I already heard you draw a dividing line between internal and external security or uh, policy and or controls. Um, are there certain pillars or tenants that you look at of like, oh, this is, you know, we go one here, two here, three here, four there in terms of the order of operations? I always think of the data involved and, and the risk to that data. Data often because that's what's going to drive a lot of compliance requirements. And also, if it's a business-to-business company, that's what's going to, well, it, say, for example, I'm hiring a business. I'm going to think first about the data I'm sharing, the access I'm giving to the vendor. So if we think first about the data and things we're doing, and then next, who who really wants that? What assets do we have? Are, are they of value? Who would want to try and take those assets? Or do we not have assets? Ultimately, it comes down to my version of the risk formula. I shouldn't say my, they're just several versions of the risk formula, slightly different words, but similar context. It always comes down to having an asset, something of value that could be money or or people or intellectual property, um, something of value with a vulnerability and a threat. If you don't have all those three things, you don't have a risk because if you have a vulnerability and a threat for something you don't care about and something that is no value, it's, there's no risk. If you have an asset that doesn't have a vulnerability, well, that threat is okay. No one can get to it. So, so I can go about that risk formula and asset with the threat and vulnerability from multiple different perspectives. A lot of us like to use words like risk and not really even have any real context for what we mean. It's just a word we say. Mm, Okay. So data, is there risk? So in, in the case of data, it's not always an asset. It's often an asset, but it isn't always an asset. So if that data isn't an asset, you might not have risk. So really stepping back, thinking about the data, the services being offered, framing it in the context of risk, and then, well, what's the business doing? Can you do things to manage security that drive value in the business, help uh, increase market share, uh, provide more value to the customers? Um, In many tech products, that would include building security features in our products because those are things that our market, our customers would appreciate. So lots of different angles to take, but those sorts of things are always what I think of first. Data, risk, how can we create business value in the work we're doing? Talking about building a cyber security program and starting with strategy. 
uh, I'm going to put my uh, my uh, key executive hat on, which is a super generic term, of course. My key executive hat is on. Okay, Warner, how long is how long does this normally take? Is this a six month journey with with your group at Gamma Force? Are we are we going to do this for twelve months, eighteen months, two years, five years? You know, what what does that journey look like in terms of time? It's an interesting question, interesting thought. Um, it, like I said before, one of our challenges is tactics. I just met with the firm for one of my clients right before we started this conversation. And I'm going through this risk assessment the firm performed and they're about to do another one for us. And I'm looking through it and it has this list of stuff that has poor context and really it, at best it, it checks the annual box for the risk assessment and that's why the client hired them so it's doing something so a lot of firms just kick out reports and do these one-off engagements I, I encourage clients to think of us as an extension of their team we will act as their CISO I, my team uh, often comes to the table to help in different areas we're very bespoke it's a lot like if you were to hire a CISO but you get the benefit of having an instant security department where you don't before, where we can help you work through those things, like what's driving the strategy of your security program, how to align it to your key performance indicators with your annual business objectives, and all sorts of different things around in between. Most of our clients, we work with multiple years. 12 months is often where we start. We have several clients we've worked with for years. And we the reason why is we help them figure out what they need at the times that they need it. So as their needs evolve, we can help solve those needs in different ways. And we don't have ego in the mix. So we're not trying to sell them a bunch of stuff arbitrarily. We can adjust and help them solve the problems in whatever way provides the most value for them. What's your advice if somebody comes to you or or i'm speaking more broadly i guess with this question what's your advice if you're growing with an engagement and you can't help them either you don't have the technical proficiency or you're don't have the staff or or whatnot you know what's your advice there it comes up a lot where clients really want a managed security services provider or a security operations center they're really just tactical folks who are watching alerts and maybe acting on them or escalating them. We do not do that. There's no plans to do that. We're not an MSSP. And if that is really what a client needs, uh, we can help them uh, find the right firm. And we often do things like that for our clients. Uh, the In some cases, it might be building those capabilities internally, hiring the right people to build that capability. In some cases, in many cases with younger companies, we have um, some more modern technology solutions that work well with cloud native companies that can reduce some of the early administrative overhead with building some of those capabilities. So it can help get higher maturity capabilities without throwing a lot of headcount or a big services provider at it. So we don't do MSSP and there are other things we don't do as well. And if it's not a fit, 
there's a lot of folks out there and we can help find them or work with other folks where it makes sense as well. Understood. Well, last question uh, about building, starting with strategy, building these security programs. Are there, and you opened the door on this one earlier, are there certain stages of a business's maturation that are like key mile markers when it comes to their security strategy? You know, um, the first moment, a good example is like the first moment they realize they do need somebody like Gamma Force to come in and help them. Are there mile, mile markers after that that you've recognized over the years and you say, yeah, usually when these types of things start happening within that, that organization, their security has to mature with, with the business? That's a really insightful question. The, it varies a little bit depending on industry, depending on type of business. I'd say right. that if you are having conversations about security, if your clients are coming to you asking for it, if your partners, because of the type of data you're sharing, if you start to have those conversations and you don't have the professional background in security to frame them in the context of your business, sooner is always better. One of the luxuries of the work we do is we often build security programs for the first time. We have a lot of cloud native clients um, you know, some of our HIPAA clients, our healthcare IT companies, we started working with them from day one when security and privacy came up. And we helped build the right things at the right time. So they didn't do everything and go down a list. And an example of that is if you're a healthcare company, you're going to be thinking about HIPAA early on. But if you can build your product or business to wait or handle protected health information in certain ways, it can reduce some of the things you need to do. And you can build capabilities at the right size at the right time that mature with the company. The client I'm thinking of is one of my favorite clients because they've done such a great job. It's really easy. And we see the counter uh, just as often, or a company in that same situation ends up saying, yes, we're going to be HIPAA. Yes, we're going to be SOC 2. And they reach out to firms saying, we need to be HIPAA and SOC 2. And then these firms do it to them. It's just like, oh, okay, you want to do this. And they do it to them. And then they add all this administrative overhead early on. That's very difficult to unwind. I, I have a client who did high trust who never should have. They have a very mature security program, but they're still a young company with limited resources. And it reduces their ability to operate in their industry competitively. And they've gone so far down that path, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to say, I'm going to stop doing high trust suddenly, because they have a ton of customers they're contracted with, committed to doing that. Had they had the right conversation with the right people earlier, they could have been like the other example where they implement the right things at the right time and don't end up adding all this administrative overhead and operating expense that doesn't add value to the business. Yeah, it's kind of like they they drove their pilings of their building uh, a thousand feet into the earth and really, they probably would have been ahead of the game if they drove them down 100 feet at pop, 
uh, and now that they're never now that the building sits on top of the you know that that uh, foundation they're never going to unwind it like it's it's almost impossible to yeah we're not going to be the tallest building in the world we're not the burj khalifa here <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool well warner i appreciate you educating some of our listeners earlier in this episode and let's get to this final question here tell the listeners about a truly terrible haircut you've had at one point in your life well i've had long hair most of my life since about 12 and the most haircuts that i usually have is an annual haircut where i'll donate my hair it's turned into thanks to the pandemic a haircut every couple years and i chop a bunch off donate it so wigs can be made for cancer patients and well in my early 20s, I got this wild hair that I, I wanted to do something different. So I spent a few years trying to find a mid-length cut that wasn't, that I liked. And well, my last attempt at, at a mid-length cut was uh, during my wedding. And every time I, I see my wedding pictures, I, I cringe. It, it, it's probably my <laughs> least favorite haircut I, I've ever had. <laughs> and your most documented haircut, too. Most photographed haircut, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, uh, in retrospect, right? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> well, Warner, again, really appreciate you joining the podcast and dropping some knowledge on our listeners. It's uh, fairly common that the listeners reach out afterwards and they say, hey, I'd, I'd, like to re- I'd like to talk to this guest. So how do folks get a hold of you, Warren? What's the best way to reach out to you professional? Uh, I'll say two ways. Uh, one on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out to Warner Moore on LinkedIn. Be sure to say why you're reaching out, not, not just a ger- generic message. And I'll, I'll definitely respond. Or, or send an email to hello at gammaforce.io. I'm always happy to chat uh, about the tallest buildings in the world or how to build a strategic security program. I love it. I love it. So listeners, you heard it first. Warner Moore, that's two O's, M-O-O-R-E. It's his last name. Or hello at gammaforce.io. Easy to get a hold of him. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of What's the Problem? The show that explores problems and issues that folks in the world of cybersecurity face today.